0: Day, but once again.
1: For that message and song. Well, the holidays are officially over, and I doubt if anyone in here ate too many sweets, or had too much fun, or got too much rest. Uh, but I, as I said before, I'm so glad that you made the choice to come to church on first Sunday, and it's so important. I hope you did it for the greatest reason—that you love God. But even if you came for a different reason, maybe because a friend asked you or your mom made you or because somebody offered to take you to lunch, I'm happy you came today, no matter why you came. And I'm sure that you have already sat down for a deep contemplation session regarding this year, 2013, and all the things you'd like to accomplish. I was reading a news article yesterday About Peyton Manning, who is the quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and I don't know a whole lot about him as a person, uh, but the article said that he writes New Year's resolutions down every year on a three-by-five card, and then he keeps the card to make sure that he does them all. Uh, In fact, he's kept all of the cards year after year, so he's got a whole stack of cards. That's some pretty strong accountability. And it's this time of year when we think about big ideas and future plans. People talk about joining a gym or taking a class or starting a savings account or funding a retirement plan or college fund or going on a diet. And we talk about a lot of things this time of year. Hopefully you've given some thought and intention to the important things in your life. In fact, we we might worry about those who go through year after year aimlessly with no plans and no big ideas and no thrive or drive. I'm sure that you have the understanding that most of the important things in our lives don't happen by accident. But do we have the same concern about spiritual awareness as we do all of the physical ideas and plans that we make? Does God's purpose for your life mean as much to you as that fad diet or that exercise program or your future plans that you've made? And we go to a passage today that says that God's purpose should mean more to us than anything. In the New Testament is a tiny book penned by the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit's inspiration to a church in the Gentile town of Philippi. And let's go to Philippians as we start the year, Philippians chapter 3. Get over with us, Philippians chapter 3. Our theme for the year at Centennial is on purpose. I believe that God wants us to be intentional about our work in His kingdom. I believe God wants us to be intentional in each of our daily decisions as individuals. Philippians 3, and we'll start a reading today at verse... Number seven. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also. I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to start the year and this series with this message, Living on Purpose. And let's pray. Father, we thank you. For each one who's in attendance this morning, and we thank you uh, for whatever circumstance or whatever thought or idea has brought each one to this place. We pray that you'd be glorified in each of our lives, and our families, in this church this year. Help us to live our lives based upon your purpose and uh, to follow through in the things that you want us to follow through in this year. Guide us now in this message, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you asked the average person why it is that they do the things that they do and make the decisions that they do, I'm sure you'd get a variety of answers about a variety of things. But a lot of folks might say they did it because they felt it was the best thing at the time. Or it sounded fun. Or a friend invited them to do it. Or they weighed the positives and negatives. To make the decision. Um, my wife is trying to sell some furniture right now because we're trying to open up a new room in our house. So um, she listed some things on Craigslist. She's a master Craigslist lister. And uh, so she listed a, a desk that we'd had for years and years and took pictures of it. And I measured it for her and we wrote down all the specs on it. and She got all the measurements on there. And we, she was getting some calls, and she had a couple that wanted to come from Eagle on a Friday night to look at her. And I was watching Oklahoma get beat in a bowl game, and uh, so rudely interrupted by, I knew Morris would start laughing, I love that. Um, but this couple came, and they wanted to look at the desk, and so of course it's, it's a basic office desk. I figured that might take at least two or three minutes. How wrong was I? Oh my goodness, it took the better part of the evening for them to look at the desk. And uh, the guy was trying to be nice to his wife, and he was trying to help her figure things out, and they, they talked about the desk as if it were the most important thing in their lives to date. Like, could we measure that again? Could we move this over here? And there's these little, you know, parts of the desk that are like shelves, and they move them over, and oh, I don't know if that'll work. And then to pull this drawer out. I'm not sure if that drawer will work. And, uh, you know, how's this going to stand up against this wall? And they're talking back and forth. So finally, I walked out of the room and went to make coffee. And my wife, she stayed in there like a loyal soldier for a while. And finally, she walked out. And about 20 minutes after that, they called us back in there and said, we just don't think it's going to work. Like, Okay. Well, I wish you would have told us that like 45 minutes ago. That would have been cool. Um, By the way, some normal people showed up yesterday and bought the desk. So um, the desk has been sold, and praise the Lord for that. But it got me to thinking, because I had already studied this message some, about how we make the decisions we make. And I know that some of you are analytical thinkers, And you have to have the bullet points and the specs and everything written down before you can make any decision in your life. And some of you, God bless you, you are emotional decision makers. Right? I feel it. Let's do it. (laughs) Right? I feel like that may be a good car for us. And uh, how many of you wives... Have ever had your husband get the new car feeling, right? And he will not rest until a new car is in the driveway. He will not rest until a purchase has been made. And he will go here and there and everywhere to figure that out. And we make decisions in our lives according to various criteria. Um, but we're going to find in this passage today that God wants us to be incredibly intentional about what we do with the life He's given us, with the time He's given us, with the resources He's given, the abilities that God has given us. And we're accountable to the designer and creator of us for these things. We better live on purpose. Let's get started back in the passage in Philippians 3. And look with me again at verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. For Christ yea, doubtless on account all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Savior, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul was ready and willing to deliberately set aside some things to live out God's purpose. First thing I want to see today is losing on purpose. Losing on purpose. Now that does not sound fun to anybody. Because none of us like to lose. We like to win. And I know that there are dads in this room who will not let your four-year-old beat you in checkers. Right? Because you don't like to lose. And far be it from you to let the kid make the winning shot in the basketball game against you one-on-one when he's six. And I know this from personal experience. So um, I have two kids who are taller than I am who could dunk over the top of me. Well, they can't quite dunk, but they can on the eight-foot goal. And uh, so we're getting to that stage of life where they can beat me on their own, and it's getting rough. Um, I, I don't know how many of you might be pack rats here today. And you're never willing to part with anything, no matter how old and trivial it might be. And Americans have things that other nations in the world don't have. We have attics and storage units full of stuff that we should have parted with a long time ago. Um, But we don't because it's of sentimental value. And Paul had to realize that there was a greater value than what he personally counted special. To live on purpose means to constantly evaluate the things that are no longer important to us. Look at his list in Philippians 3. He had a big list. Things that were so important to him. He had certificates on the wall. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had this big list of things that he wasn't willing to set aside. Look, fellas, you remember when you started dating her? Remember when you started dating her and your love letters from Jemima were no longer important? Right? The girl before her. Just called her Jemima. You can call her whatever you want. I just knew that there were no Jemimas that I knew of at our church. All right, so you, you took Jemima's love letters, and they were out. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I started um, my first, uh, you might call, serious dating relationship with a, with a girl, and um, she, she was writing me letters every day, and I was going to college, and I had a briefcase, and my briefcase was full of letters, and uh, man, it had little hearts on there, and with perfume on the paper, right? Now kids text message and Facebook and all the other things. But back then we used paper. Um, so, so I had this awful, And for whatever reason, I don't remember what happened, but we broke up. And I don't know if it was her decision or my decision. I seriously cannot even remember. But for whatever, so it probably means it was her decision, right? Yeah. I knew that's where you were going with that smile. Um, but we broke up. And you know what? The paper in my briefcase was no longer important. I got rid of it. Now, for her, it was very convenient. I don't know if she had this planned or how it worked out, but after she dated me, she conveniently dated another guy named Tony. And so she kept all the paraphernalia from our relationship. That's distorted, people. I'm in the middle of a memory here. I didn't mean to go that far with it, but I just thought I'd throw that in. That's a little weird. But you know, it was no longer important. I didn't keep any of the stuff. It's gone. And you set aside the things that you set aside on purpose. You burn letters and pictures, right? But you do it on purpose, And here's the deal. If you're going to remove the junk from your life in 2013, it won't happen by accident. It's not going to happen by accident. I told the story earlier about the couple who came to look at the desk. And that desk is in a tiny room of the house that we're converting to a bedroom because we have a new baby on the way. And so we're just completing the process of taking everything out of this little room And could I tell you that there was some stuff in that room? In fact, there might have been more stuff in that one room than we started our entire household with back in 1994. And in fact, I'm convinced there probably was more stuff in there. You know why there was so much stuff in there? Here's why. Because junk doesn't get taken out by accident. Junk accumulates by accident, but junk doesn't get taken out by accident. It just piles up. And if we're going to live on purpose, we're going to have to lose on purpose. We have to lose some things. We have to lose some sin, besetting sin, the Bible calls them. We have to lose some things that weigh us down in the Christian walk and be able to purposely set those things aside. Back in the passage, though, Look at the end of verse 8. I want you to notice a phrase at the end of verse 8 that's the opposite of losing. Look what he says. That I may win Christ. That I may win Christ. So let's not just talk about losing on purpose. Let's talk about winning on purpose. I come from a line of table game players. And how many like table games? Yeah, okay, so Christmas is usually the time of year where we break out all the table games. And almost every year when I was growing up, we would get a new table game as one of our Christmas presents. And before you can play the game, you have to learn the game, right? So one person would be sitting there reading the rules to get all the details, make sure it's just right, how to set the board up and how you're supposed to distribute this and what you're supposed to do in the event of this. And another person would be sitting there asking, so how do you win? Right? That's all they care about. They don't care about the board. They don't care about the pieces. They don't care about the rules. They care about winning. That's it. Now, how many of you are the winning person? Right? How many of you are the rules person? Exactly. Got to get the rules right. Got to have it right. Otherwise, it's no fun playing the game. Some of you people are just dead to life this morning. I don't know. You, you've never done anything, apparently, except sit on your bump and watch TV. Um, because you, you're not involved at all in this process. So I hope you wake up soon. Um, but, but they're trying to figure out, how do you win? Now, there are folks in life who don't care about the details. They just care about the winning. There are rule freaks like me. And yeah, there's basically no in-between. And if you're going to live your life on purpose, you have to define what that purpose will be. You have to know what a win will be for your life. You have to know what the destination you're shooting for is going to be before you ever choose a path. After all, if you don't know what the object of the game is, why play the game? Now, Paul knew what the object was. It says it right here, that I may win Christ. He already knew up front, that is the win for me. In another place he says in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. Now we say it a different way. We might say I enjoy doing such and such. Now you see bumper stickers sometimes, I live for blank, whatever it is football or hunting or camouflage or whatever it's going to be. People live for these things. And Paul said, for me to live is Christ. It's how he filled the blanket in his life. And when I was a senior in high school, I had just graduated. And some of family from, from Idaho uh, was down in Oklahoma. God bless their hearts. Uh, that's where I went to high school. So that's, that's why when I talk smack about Oklahoma... I could do it in a verified way because I had to live there for 11 years of my life. And uh, and so God bless all the Okies who are here today. Um, We have several in church, and I just tease with them a little bit. But right after my graduation, several of us drove down to Dallas a few hours away to go to a Texas Rangers baseball game. And it's one of my favorite memories of my Opa, my dad's dad. And he had no idea what baseball was. Um, He'd never seen a baseball game in his life. And they didn't have baseball in Holland when when he was growing up. All they had was football, which is soccer, right? Um, And you you could try to explain baseball to him, but it did not work. He was clueless. And so he's sitting there at this baseball game with mustard all over his face from the hot dog, because that's the one thing that he did enjoy. And the only thing that he ever connected with was the foul ball. Every time a batter would get up to bat and foul a ball off, he would say, They hit another one in the people. <laughs> and then he'd foul another one off, and he'd look again, they hit another one in the people. And he just kept saying that over and over again. And, uh, you know, you kind of, okay, but that's not the point of the game. But we had more fun watching him watch the game than we did watching the game. And on the way home, I think we got lost and we ended up in Waco instead of Oklahoma City. I don't remember what happened. But uh, look, I played baseball in high school. I knew what the object of the game was, but he didn't. He was just a bystander. I think there are quite a few people In fact, there might be quite a few Christians who are bystanders to their own lives. They have no idea what a win is as a Christian. They have no idea how to define what's important for the Christian life. And if you don't have something to live for, your life is going to be meaningless and void. So in 2013, let's start winning on purpose. Let's start winning Christ. But then we get to the next verse and verse number 10. see what it says, Philippians 3, verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Let's talk about knowing on purpose. Knowing on purpose. To live on purpose means to download Only what's important. Just the basics that are needed to give you direction. All other information is trivial. It's not going to advance you toward your destination. How many of you uh, had the occasion to actually use these things they used to make in paper called roadmaps? Right? Some of you kids have never heard of that. Um, Before GPS and Garmin and all that stuff... They had these things that you could buy called roadmaps, right? They're called atlases. And how do you remember back in the atlas that they would have uh, they would have all these different pages of scenic attractions and tell you about all the neat things in Milwaukee or Cleveland or Indianapolis? And uh, there were people that they got distracted by that, and they never could figure out the directions. They were called women, <laughs> all right? I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. The times in my life that I've been lost, I should have listened to a woman. So, I'll just tell you that. And there's a particular woman in the crowd who I should have listened to. So, um, but, but there was the, the directions and the map, and then there are all these extra pages. You know, sometimes I think we get stuck on the extra pages. And we forget about the map. There are people who own hundreds of books about the Bible and they never read the Bible. And we sometimes get distracted off of the real direction and the intention of what God has for us, of what we need to know. Paul told the church at Corinth, I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Here in Philippians 3, we we read that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. We have so much information around us today. It's easy to get sucked in. I don't know if you've ever been bamboozled by a free app on your phone or a free program on your computer that looked great. But when you went to download it, you're required to download all these extra things as well. And those setups are so annoying. They're so deceitful. Right, like we'll give you a free credit report if you sign up for thirty-two extra things, and and you only have to or some of you only have to sign up for five things, and they're free for the first month. But then to get out of it, you have to call this one eight hundred number and wait for thirteen minutes to talk to a live person to tell them you want to discontinue the thing that you didn't want in the first place. Ain't that fun? Some of you still aren't awake. I don't know what you ate over the holidays, but next year you need to back off a little bit, okay? because you're not with us today. I wonder if Jesus ever feels hurt or annoyed, like we do about those types of things with his children. Look again at verse number 10. It doesn't say that I may know about him. It says that I may know Him. I'm sure that you understand that knowing a person requires a purposeful commitment. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. You know, it really takes less of those things than we assume. Generally, men tend to think that having a good marriage will eat hours out of each day. And so they settle for mediocre. A good marriage really only takes minutes a day, but they have to be purposeful minutes. You have to add it all up. Pick up your dirty socks, five seconds. Fix your wife's toothbrush, 10 seconds. Listen to your wife's concerns with full attention, one minute. I mean, I mean 10 minutes. Sorry, get confused sometimes. Yeah, you have to listen, you have to focus on what's important for a few minutes each day. You know, if we just would focus with attention on some things, we'd improve our relationships. And at the beginning of 2013, sometimes we get this thought in a new year that knowing Christ is this insurmountable task that it can't ever happen. I'm too busy to to be involved in that this year. And can I just tell you, you're not too busy to give God focused minutes each day. That's the only way you'll know Him. It has to happen on purpose. There's nobody who has ever cultivated a relationship with God by accident. It doesn't happen. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes hard work. Prayer is the hardest work you can ever do. It's difficult to be focused and involved in a devotional life. But I would urge you to know Jesus Christ on purpose. But then I want you to look at verse number 12. Philippians 3, verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect or mature. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Look look at this. Paul was trying to apprehend something. Let's close by talking about catching on purpose. Catching on purpose. He wanted to catch up to something. We find out in verse 14 what that is. Look what he said. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was after the prize of knowing Christ. To live on purpose means to pursue the prize. Everybody in here has at some point pursued a prize. And it could be that the worst thing that ever happened was when you caught it. Right? Right? You're like the greyhound at the track that catches the bone. They're no good anymore. They're washed out because they caught up with their goal. And you're like the athlete who wins the Super Bowl and retires and gains 100 pounds. Nothing more to live for. And some folks are that way regarding their relationships. There are guys who say, well, I caught the girl 20 years ago. She belongs to me. There's no more pursuit involved. I told her I loved her when we got married and it hadn't changed. And if it ever does, I'll let you know. Right? And that was 40 years ago. Or the girls, I enticed him to become my husband 10 years ago. And once I caught him, I put the makeup away for good. I put the curlers away for good. Don't need any more of that stuff. And sometimes we get this thought process. A lot of the things that we catch up with, We find they're no longer as great as we thought. You know, it's different when it comes to biblical charity. When it comes to God and His love, it's a different story. Christ-like charity in our relationship with God and in our home relationship is something that never gets old. The desire never goes away. My wife and I love to sit at restaurants and watch people Um, how they talk and how they interact. And uh, you can always tell when a couple's really close, uh, when they've ordered their dinner and they both sit there on their phones like this. (laughs) And then the dinner comes and they're still sitting there like this. And they never talk to each other. And sometimes we see couples who look like they've been married for a long time and they enjoy each other. They love each other. They enjoy talking to each other. And sometimes you see them reach a hand out, and the other one reaches the hand out, and they hold hands at the table. And you can tell they care about each other. Now, our relationship with God its not quite that same relationship. But, you know, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more we should enjoy that relationship. And if your relationship with God has withered away, I can tell you it is not God who's moved. God hasn't moved. He loves you the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved you before you were ever formed in the belly. He knew you by name. He cares about you. The thoughts that he has about you are so numerous that you cannot begin to count them. And he wants a relationship with you. He's chasing. He's wanting to catch that relationship with you. And it ought to be the same way with him. I have good news for every person here today. Catching Christ is a continuous pursuit. Look at verse 13. Look what Paul says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So even though Paul was faithful, even though he had served God for many years, he said, listen, I still haven't caught him. I'm chasing, but I still haven't gotten there haven't apprehended the prize yet. And you will never know the full result of your commitment to Christ on this earth. But someday, as the songwriter wrote, face to face, I shall behold him. Far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. And and to pursue any prize, especially this prize, You have to live in the present tense. You have to be present. You have to be here right now. And some of you are sitting in this room today, but you're not here. You're not present. You're not engaged in your own life. That's what God wants from us. Listen, if you aren't presently on the path, how can you reach the destination? If you're not on the path, then the destination is just a dream for you got to be on the path to get to the end of the path. If you aren't following Christ today, how will you reach the prize? So many people go through life unfocused. Lots of people are living in the past. If only he had, and if only she had, and if only the economy this, and if only my stocks did this, and if only my job did this. And if you live in the past, you miss the entire reason planning the future. You miss the entire thing that God has for your life. One of the sayings that has affected me so much over the years is this. It's only four words. I love this one. Yesterday ended last night. Simple, but it comes to my mind all the time. Yesterday ended last night. I can't change it for good or bad. I have to live in the present. Today is what matters in my walk with God. Today is what matters in my walk with my family. Today is what matters in my earthly responsibilities. Paul said, this one thing I do. Look at the middle of verse 13. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I'm sure that if we put our heads together, we could make a list of things here in this room today that will never happen by accident. Right? You will never run a marathon by accident. You will never go scuba diving by accident. You will never grow a thriving vegetable garden by accident. And I'm sure you could add to the list, at least those of you who are engaged. We're present with this. There are things that you'll never do on accident. Yet, why is it that you think that you can be spiritually successful by accident? Showing up isn't good enough. You have to be present. You have to be focused. You have to be engaged. That's life on purpose. As you dismiss in just a few minutes, we're going to have... One of these available for all the folks who'd like one today. It's just a little reminder for us, for the first weeks of the year, to live your life on purpose. It just has our theme for the year on it. if you want one, you can have one. If you don't want one, then you don't have to have one. But we're going to do that in just a second. But first, I'd like to give you an opportunity today. I'm going to ask you to make an important choice for God. And you don't have to know the books of the Bible or have a certain section of Bible verses memorized. You don't have to have everything all figured out to make this decision. In fact, this may be your first time here. You may not even know what salvation is. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ yet. But let's be present in this moment. And would you make a choice today, a commitment today to Jesus Christ for the following, this is, this is all. This is what I'm asking you. Would you make a choice to say, Jesus, I'm going to live my Christian walk this year on purpose. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be engaged. I'm not going to let weeks pass by where I don't ever talk to you. I'm not going to let days pass by where I never open your word. I purpose in my life to live on purpose. But if you'd like to make a commitment to live on purpose this year, and you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to come right now to the front and kneel before God. If you'd like to do that this year. We're doing it a different way than we normally do it. There's no head bowing. If you want to make a commitment, come on up to the front, and we're going to have a commitment prayer today, all right? If you need to stay in your seat because you can't kneel, that's just fine. We're going to have a commitment prayer for all those who want to live their lives on purpose this year. So come right now, no music, no head bowing, just a courageous commitment to a Savior who hung on a wooden cross for you. Would you come before Him today with your feet, with your body, with your heart, and say, Jesus Christ, I want to live on purpose for you this year. I want to be purposeful in my life. And as you pray, I'm going to pray for you that God will work through us who've made this commitment. Our Father, we thank you today so much for the gift of eternal life. Lord, without your sacrifice and your blood on the cross, there's not a person in this room who has hope. Not one of us. We can't do it on our own. And because you came to earth on purpose and died for us on purpose, we now commit that this year, in 2013, that we will live our lives on purpose for you. Lord, we we certainly won't be perfect. We won't have it all right. We're going to have to come to you day after day and confess that, that we've done wrong and that we've messed up and that we don't know how to serve you. But we ask for wisdom today in living our Christian lives. We ask for courage that we'd be able to take your wisdom and step forward and live it out. And Lord, would you make this the first step in us following you this year, in pleasing you and glorifying you, that we would live our lives on purpose today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, God's only son, amen.